Four key insights to extract from Rank Ranger SEO data with Andreas Vonietis. The InSearch SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. What are the key insights that you should be extracting from your Rank Ranger SEO data? That's what we're covering today with an SEO who's also a backgammon enthusiast. He's the author of Data Driven SEO and founder of Artios. A warm welcome to the InSearch SEO podcast, Andreas Vonietis. Thank you for having me, David. Hello. Hey, Andreas. Thanks so much for joining us where you can find Andreas over at Artios.io. So, Andreas, today you're sharing four key insights to extract from Rank Ranger SEO data. So, starting off with number one, keyword clustering. I am, yes. Well, the beauty of keyword clustering is if you're trying to group keywords by search intent, you can use a Rank Ranger API to get the search results for all of your keywords at scale. So, that's really great. Uh, that just uh, saves a lot of manual work having to sort of download all those CSV sheets. And then what you do is use a bit of Python to compare the search results for similarity. Now, if two keyword search results are similar, then you know they have the same search intent. If they're dissimilar, then you know those two keywords have different search intent and therefore should be mapped onto different web pages. And uh, the code is all in my book, Data Driven SEO. <laughs> That's a, a nice related um, link to use there as well. But um, just talking about what you were saying there, um, you used the, the phrase a bit of Python. Um, so for SEOs that um, are uncomfortable with <laughs> what you've just shared there, I, I guess, how would you summarize your use of Python? And also, can you talk a little bit about um, how you go about determining the similarities between different keyword phrases? Okay, so it's probably best if I answer your second question first because we just talked about um, uh, keyword clustering. So the uh, similarity metric really is, uh, I was inspired by how genetic scientists uh, use string methods to compare DNA strings for uh, gene sequencing. So I thought, oh, hang on a minute. What if we were to encode uh, search results for keywords like uh, DNA, and then we could con- we could compare the DNA to see if they're similar or not, you know. And, and that's how I went about uh, constructing the code for comparing uh, the search results for keywords. Now, in terms of the slim similarity, you know, if someone is searching for <laughs> I'm trying to come up with an example, but if someone's searching for say trench coats and the search results are the same for uh, ladies' trench coats, then there's a good chance that the page for ladies' trench coats should also be optimized for trench coats per se. Whereas the you, you might find, and this was true 10 years ago when I was op- optimizing uh, Burberry, you'll find that these the search intent for trench coats and men's trench coats are dissimilar uh, because most of the search results for trench coats were for ladies' trench coats as, or men, women's trench coats as opposed to men's 
trench coats. Hopefully that answers your question. It does. Um, but as always, it actually encourages me to um, dig deeper or um, follow the, the thread of a, a slightly different um, angle there as well. And I'm, I'm going to keep on going a little bit because I, I used to work in um, SEO for luxury fashion as well. So I kind of uh, have, have experienced um, the kind of the, the fashion, the e-commerce SEO that you, you alluded to there as well. And in relation to your example, trench coats um, or indeed any other item of clothing that can apply to male and females. I think um, e-commerce SEOs sometimes struggle with which page the male or female version to try and optimize for the core item of clothing or perhaps actually to create some kind of unisex page um, and then act that as a, as a funnel towards the male or the female version. Um, I think you mentioned that trench coats by itself tends to be more commonly searched for by uh, female searchers. Or searchers. Um, so so is, is that something that you advise SEOs to, 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 to look at and try to determine? Yeah, so I would look at the data uh, because what I, the example I was giving you was just an example I plucked out from 10 years ago. Uh, so uh, the answer to that would be to look at the data. You know, maybe things have changed. If you looked at... Let's take another example. If you looked at the search results for braces uh, 10 to 12 years ago, it would be a mix of dental braces and trouser braces. Uh, I'm pretty sure now, almost exclusively, it's dental braces. So, you know, user behavior or user search patterns change, desires change over time. That's why we've got to be data-driven these days. Look at the data. Don't, don't be beholden to SEO anecdotes or... Or, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying don't follow best practices, but the data should be your first reference before anything else. And your step number two is to look for quick wins. So um, this obviously relates to the, the, the keyword information that you've uncovered in step one. Yeah, so one of the things I do is I, I use the Rank Ranger API to grab the ranking data for, say, the last week. And if you take the average, then you know that um, the, the data results are stable. If there's a page hanging around page two, it's really simple. Uh, that effectively qualifies a quick win. So just by using the Rank Ranger API and, and systemizing or automating that reporting using those filters, you can, you know, over and above the uh, SEO strategy that you've set for the next six months, three months or a year, uh, there's things you could do to improve and get results sooner rather than later. And do you also try to determine the authority and relevance of the pages that are ranking above this page that you've identified? Because it's all well and good identifying a page that's perhaps on page two. But of course, if it's exceptionally difficult to move past the competitors, then it might not be worthwhile working on that. Yes, 100%. I mean, the chances are that if you're on page two, you probably have sufficient authority. It's just the user experience side that's probably lacking. But yes, I do qualify, you know, if if you were to take, say, two quick wins uh, or two quick win examples of keywords, you might find that the median uh, domain authority for one keyword SERP is much lower than the other. Just like you, I'd know which one I'd prioritize. <laughs> And the third insight that you extract from Rank Ranger SEO data is competitor analysis. 
Yes, indeed. And what I love about data-driven SEO is that, you know, we're we're in a we're in an industry where the data where it's data rich. You know, uh, the outcomes of Google's algorithm is in the public domain via search engine results, and that's all extractable using the Rank Ranger API. The inputs, uh, which would explain the variation in rankings, I'll try not to sound too statistical. Uh, in my jargon, the the inputs are are also in the public domain. You you can uh, get data on how your competitors are structuring their content, uh, what that content is, features of the content such as word count, things like that. You know, all of that is also in the public domain. So the missing link really is your data science, uh, which is to basically do the mathematical modeling in Python and correlate uh, what's working and what's not working and to what statistical significance. And and machine learning models uh, help do this at scale. And in general, what trends are you currently seeing that constitute a successful competitor page? Uh, Are you seeing increased word length? Are you seeing uh, certain elements within the page that um, are more likely for a page that ranks highly? Yes, uh, it depends on the sector, but if we just take the e-commerce uh, SEO sector, one of the things that I've noticed that seem to be a predictor of rank and can explain the difference in position is the number of products you might offer on a page. Uh, it seems that the more you offer, the higher ranked you are. Uh, with word length, you know, less is more in the e-commerce sector, whereas something a bit more B2B or service-led uh, more tends to be more. Uh, so the the higher your word count, the higher you will rank. And if we take readability, one of the things is that, you know, again, I'm really, I'm not anti-best practice, but I'm anti-anecdotes. It seems that there's a best practice that the more readable your content, the higher you rank. Well, if you look at the data, if you look at really technical industries such as accounting, law, blockchain, it's actually the opposite. The less readable your copy is, uh, the more it's deemed that um, that you know what you're talking about and it seems to satisfy uh, Google's users who are searching on those queries for those search spaces. So honestly, just don't take best practice for granted, be data-driven about it. But those are the trends that I've identified having analyzed the number of SERPs. So going back to what you said to begin with there, actually, are you saying that it might be an idea to consider increasing the number of standard product snippets that people have, that e-commerce stores have on category pages, maybe from 10 to 20 or something like that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, again, it probably depends on the market, but I, I've seen, for example, in the furniture space uh, where the machine learning algorithm uh, identified that there was a cutoff point where if you offered, I forgot what that number is because it was a while ago, but if you offered, say, you know, there seemed to be only three to four typical offers for that product category, which was targeting a certain type of sofa search, seemed to perform much worse compared to other stores that were offering, you know, at least 12 also sofas. Interesting. Okay, and uh, your fourth key insight to extract from Rank Ranger SEO data, schema. 
Yeah, hundred percent. So the beauty of um, of SERP data using the Rank Ranger API, you get all kinds of rich information about uh, that can tell you a lot about the search searcher intent uh, behind the keywords. So, for example, if you're seeing results for people also ask, that's a clue uh, in that uh, you should be using schema to mark up your FAQ content. Uh, if it's e-commerce, again, you know, you could use offer schema to show uh, the number of reviews you're getting for your products. So, you know, nothing is new in that sense. The value add for data-driven SEO is to do this at scale. And with the Rank Ranger API, you know, that's a major piece of the puzzle taken care of. Great thoughts. Okay, well, let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. What's one SEO activity that you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? Well, for modest levels of effort, let's assume that uh, no serious budget is involved. I would say uh, either data-driven digital PR, although that does require some budget, or uh, for zero budget and, and just your time, what you could do is you could look into Google Search Console for each of your pages and you can look at the queries and do um, a frequency count of the modifiers per page and then optimize your, pay, your page titles accordingly. Now, again, the great thing is you can do this at scale. So again, uh, assuming you know Python, it's going to be very modest effort to get all the data you need using the Google Search Console API, also detailed uh, in my book on how to extract that data uh, without being restricted to a thousand rows. So uh, that's that's a really modest way, but yet transformative effect on your SEO traffic. Interesting. Okay, so a lot of great data obviously inside Google Search Console that you can use to help optimize page titles and things like that. Are you a fan of using AI to help create that content as well? Oh, 100%. I actually built a neural network model. Uh, so I took uh, just over a million. Uh, I trained my neural network model just over uh, a million data points, uh, meta titles and descriptions. And using that, I was able to generate uh, sensible meta descriptions. Uh, I showed it to a few people just to do the mum test and they thought it was pretty good. I even got featured in the Botify blog not sure if I can mention it on this podcast, but uh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, it, they 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 were happy enough because I did a collaboration with Spotify as I do with Rank Ranger, uh, where we used data and I was able to uh, train a model and uh, one that could generate meta titles and descriptions. Obviously, uh, the Google Terms of Service are they do state that you must uh, obviously human edit them. Uh, I think that applies to article body content, but I think for meta descriptions and titles, that's pretty much fair game. And I must ask for one example of the example that you gave that cost a bit of money, um, i.e. data-driven digital PR. So, I mean, what would be an example of something from a digital PR perspective, data-driven, that actually works really effective nowadays? Yeah, I, I think... You know, obviously the PR landscape has changed massively in the last 15 years. Uh, certainly link acquisition has. 
And I think, well, I say I think, but in terms of how we service our clients, what we do is uh, we produce data-driven content and it's the kind of content that influencers want to link to. And it's because it's proprietary uh, data, it's the kind of thing that accrues links over time. Uh, obviously, that's a lot more scalable. You know, obviously, the, the effort that goes into it is perhaps not so modest because obviously you have to sort of understand your audience, their burning questions, and then you have to understand the influencers and what they tend to write about. So it doesn't sound modest at first, but then when you look back over the last 12 months or 24 months in terms of how that piece of content performed in terms of acquiring links over time, uh, actually you probably end up acquiring links for about $50 per link. And, uh, you know, some, some won't be worth much, but because they're natural, they grow over time. But there'll be the, the Pareto 10% that are in the sort of DA 80s, 90s, 70s. So, you know, you can't have it all, but it's pretty transformative. And, and on the whole, it's, it's a modest effort for what you get. Oh, understood. Uh, it's it's um, not an insignificant amount of time and effort and, and, and cost to begin with, but looking at it over the long term, it's a lot of value for money. Yeah, 100%. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Andreas Fognatis over at Arteos.io. Andreas, thank you so much for being on the InSearch SEO podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com. Yeah.